0: Welcome to the Women Governance Gurus Podcast, where we listen to the journeys of women working in the field of corporate governance, their passions, struggles, and commitment to improving how companies and boards function. My name is Liz Dunshee, and my co-host is Courtney Camlet. Hi, everyone. Courtney and I are both passionate about governance and want to spotlight some of the amazing women in this field who share that passion. Hear what has surprised them over their career and various perspectives from different paths and industries. For this episode, we're excited to be talking with Michelle Leader, editor and founder of Footnoted. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being here.
1: Michelle, you founded and run Footnoted, a financial news site vital to investors and hedge funds, which reports on details from companies' SEC filings. Your 2003 book, Financial Footprint, Uncovering a Company's True Value, includes a review by Nell Minow that says you cracked the code on how to comb financial statement footnotes to spot hidden bad news. You've been named one of the 25 most dangerous people in financial media, with your reports leading to government investigations and settlements, in addition to impacting investor decisions. You've been a freelance contributor to the New York Times Dealbook and Businessweek and now have a weekly column for Bloomberg Opinion. How did you first get involved in financial journalism, and how did you have the foresight to build technology that would make it possible to review large amounts of detailed financial disclosures? Uh,
2: great question. You know, I started out as a business journalist, you know, working for uh, daily newspapers. My first job was a, a paper that no longer exists called the Tampa Tribune. It was actually a pretty big paper once upon a time, but, um, you know, went the way of a lot of um, fairly prominent papers. Um, it was acquired by its competitor and then shut down. So that was my first job out of college and I was a business journalist there. I had majored in economics at college. I went to Brandeis University in Waltham, Mass. And, uh, my first job out of college was at the Tampa Tribune. And I spent a couple of years working in Florida covering, uh, different aspects of, you know, uh, businesses. And what was really interesting is I was writing story, I was writing a story about a small bank um, in, in Bradenton, Florida, about an hour south of Tampa. And the bank was, uh, you know, I was reading in their annual report, they were kind of like talking about how everything was great at this bank and it was growing and this was, you know, around before the, the last, bu- well, which bubble? Um, this would be the bubble in like 1989, like late 80s bubble. Um, and they were talking about how um, everything was going great, and then I found footnotes in there that said, like, we're being investigated by, you know, it was like an alphabet soup of regulators. Like, we're being investigated by the SEC and the RTC and the OTC and the, you know, and I was just thinking, like, hmm, that's kind of an interesting footnote there. Um, And that was sort of, like, early on my, my experience where, you know, companies will put out something, but you really need to dig in and understand the details. Mm -hmm. And I would also say, like, early on, you know, Nell Minow was an early, very early influence on me. I sometimes tweet about this every now and then. I footnote it as my handle, so please follow me if, uh, you know, you have an interest in this sort of thing. But uh, Nell Minow had given a presentation at a a conference that I was at and where she talked about really diving into SEC filings, really understanding what was going on, and around that same time, there was also um, a similar type of presentation by a woman named Diana Enriquez, a, a ground-breaking reporter, um, you know, who spent many, many years at the New York Times. I would say those are my two north stars on this. Um, and they really, um, you know, talked about how the documents will set you free, and how you know you just need to read the documents and understand what's really going on. Um, and then, uh, you know, that. You know, that sort of prompted me. I spent about 10 years working as a business journalist for different daily newspapers. I was in Florida. I was in Connecticut. Then I was the business editor of a small paper called the Poughkeepsie Journal up in, it's not really upstate New York for people who live upstate New York, but upstate New York for people who are from New York City, which is where I'm originally from. And then I decided that it was – um you know, I started freelancing, and uh, a couple of years later, Footnoted was born. I, I, you know, wrote the book, Financial Fine Print, based on my own investing experience, and, and that sort of started the website.
0: Wow. That's very entrepreneurial of you and impressive, and I follow Footnoted. I'm pretty sure Courtney does, too, but I definitely would recommend that to all of our listeners as well because you have... A lot of great info there and I know you're sharing things from the op-eds that you're writing for Bloomberg and uh, other sources as well so I find that very informative
1: it is a great resource and I do check it multiple times a day because it's very interesting the content you post yeah.
2: thank you um, I try to do you know I mean with footnoted the, the, the Twitter feed I just try to you know if I'm finding something interesting in a filing and uh, you know I try to like tweet out a little bit about it if there's something unique. One of my favorites right now is looking at, you know, the names of SPACs. Yes. You know, SPACs are super hot right now. Yes. And it's like, you know, Revolution Disruption SPAC. Um, you know, um, there just seems like so many funny names, like just another, um, just another SPAC SPAC. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's really That's quite true. interesting how, you know, you find like little things that maybe I wouldn't write up more fully, but they're just kind of an interesting little tidbit. Yeah. that I find in the filings. Um, and, of course, my favorite is the Friday night dump. So that would be the period after the markets close at 4 p.m., 4 p.m. Eastern um, on a Friday. Um, but the SEC, Edgar, you know, SEC remains open until 5.30 p.m. And so companies will tend to, what I like to call, take out the trash um, and uh, file things, you know, late on a Friday afternoon thinking that nobody's paying attention.
0: But I am – Yeah, I vaguely recall blogging something about uh, the Friday night news dump and whether that was a false impression that companies have that nobody's paying attention because I think now it's come to be the case where people kind of expect bad news to come in that time period and they're paying actually closer attention to that um, period of time than other times.
2: It's actually interesting, you know, and it's not just, like, companies that are doing this. The SEC is doing it, too. I mean, last Friday they, you know, filed this lengthy thing about AT&T. They, they, they're they taking AT&T to court over mm-hmm. communications with analysts, and that was filed late on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Um, last, last summer when they put out guidance on changes to the 13F policy, which was a disastrous um, move on their part, they put that out late on a Friday afternoon too. So um it's not just companies that are doing the Friday night job. Yeah. Totally. So
1: so I worked at the SEC so long ago, I can still remember we would fax out the comment letters on Friday late afternoon. Oh really? Because oh yeah. That
0: happens frequently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. I think it's
2: a common thing. So <laughs>
0: So, Michelle, do you think that disclosures today or investors' way of reviewing them allow for more efficient dissemination and investor understanding of information compared to a decade ago or even longer when you first got into this? Um, yes
2: and no. I mean, obviously, you know, I think back to when I was first reading filings, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, twenty years ago. Um, and you know, there was, um, you know, you weren't actually, I'm sorry, 30 years ago, I'm dating myself, you know, when I first started reading filings, there wasn't even an Edgar. So like, you know, I love to like, you know, and I'll tweet about this too. I love to complain about Edgar. Sometimes it breaks, there's problems with it, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, is the fact that it exists is pretty, you know, awesome. If you, if you ask me, Yeah. um, you know, it, it really is, it's free, anyone can use it. There's a word search feature now? There's word search feature now. um, You know, compare that to some other, you know, like, I mean, look at PACER. If you try to research federal court records, you know, sometimes I I go into bankruptcy cases or I'm looking at a lawsuit. And, you know, if you hit a certain, if you do a certain number of searches, they start charging you $0.10 a page. And I just think, like, my God, if, like, the SEC were to charge me $0.10 a page, I would be like, you know, <laughs> it would just be, you know, crazy. I mean, I'm definitely a power user of Edgar. You know, so so I think back, you know, obviously, um, you know, my early days as a journalist, you know, back in, in Florida, if I wanted an SEC filing for that bank in particular, the one that I gave you the example about early a few minutes ago, you know, I had to hire a company called Disclosure and they had to go and send an actual physical person to the SEC reading room and make you know, photocopies. And then they had to, um, you know, mail it to me in Florida. And that whole process like took, you know, time and money and, you know, all of that. And here I can just call up a, you know, a button on my computer and, and you know, get that filing instantaneously almost as soon as it's been filed. So that's certainly, a, you know, a, a significant improvement. And I think that You know, only people who have been doing this, you know, have been, you know, in in the investing world, in the governance world for a while, um, understand how much things have improved. But on the other hand, I feel like there is a lot of information out there and, you know, people tend to ignore it. I mean, you know, if you spend any time on Twitter, of course, you see like, you know, the Twitter Um, the Tesla argument, you know, people who are like, you know, this thing, this company is like, you know, a house of cards. And then there's other people who are like, this company is the greatest thing since, I don't know, sliced bread, you know? So, um, and that's all based on, you know, I mean, you just wonder if like people are actually reading the disclosures. I have a feeling that the people who are more negative on the company are reading the disclosures and the people who are more positive are not, um, even though the information is available and, and out there. And maybe, in fairness, things have changed a bit. Maybe the disclosures, I don't know, i hate to think this, but maybe they don't matter that much to particular investors.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, I would argue that they do, but, you know, I am not a momentum investor. I am not, you know, looking for, you know, um, a quick turnaround. Um, you know, I only have one computer monitor, not ten. Um, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs>
1: Yeah, maybe I'm missing out. <laughs> I I honestly have to believe they still matter. Um, but given your varied experiences, has there been anything that surprised you in your career as you've progressed? I
2: think you know just um, I think you know some companies are trying to um, really improve their disclosure, and there are some companies who seem like they're trying to game the system. You know, figuring out what words people are searching for, like you know, like subpoena, for example. I mean, that's a common word that you would, you know, the, for the past like 15, you know, years or so, actually closer to 20 now. There's been an ability to, um, you know, uh, set an alert for, but you know, not just set an alert for a particular company, but set an alert for a particular word. So. You want to know the time. You know, you want to know anytime the word subpoena appears in a filing. You can set up that alert. And um, what's interesting is that companies have figured out ways to kind of dance around those words, right? So, okay, we know you're looking for the word subpoena. Let's do something like invitation to respond, hmm. um, which you're not looking for. I mean, I remember, you know, about maybe six or seven years ago, Goldman Sachs did that. You know, big prominent company. Um, You know, certainly with plenty of legal um, advisors, able to um, give it, you know, direction. And they gave a disclosure like, we have received an invitation to respond to the Department of Justice. And I like to laugh at that because it's like, I, I, you know, I don't know. I haven't had a lot of dealings with the Department of Justice, thankfully, but I would like to believe that if they send me an invitation, it's not like, you know, someone's 40th birthday party. I've got to show up, (laughs) right, whether or not I want to. Um, so, you know, that's sort of, um, you know, I think companies have learned how to be cagier and how to, um, you know, um, uh, you know, maybe game the system is a little bit too strong, but certainly play the game.
0: Yeah. That's interesting that you say that. I, I do feel like most companies are trying to improve their disclosures and do the best that they can. But I think that maybe the people inside the companies are also feeling like there's this system of technology and there are new rules of the game that they have to kind of learn to deal with. And I guess that's kind of a good segue to our next question is uh, one way that you get information and other investors obviously is by using search algorithms to pull data from SEC filings. And so how can those of us who are involved with drafting corporate disclosures prepare those filings in a way to make sure that what gets pulled accurately reflects the full context of the situation? Huh,
2: that's a tough one.
0: Um, You know, I think
2: that. A, a while back you know under Arthur Levitt there was a you know a movement to do sort of plain English SEC filings right and the SEC came out with this huge um booklet maybe I don't know were you at the SEC then Courtney or I was yeah okay so perhaps you remember the the plain English the whole movement for that Um, You know, that was, you know, but that never really went very far. It never really went anywhere. I don't know if it was because, you know, um, a new administration came in a couple years later or, you know, what happened. Um, But I think that, you know, we've all read, you know, and I say we all, like, you know, anyone who reads filings, reads filings that are clearer and filings that are, like, basically written by the love child of uh, an accounting firm and a law firm. Really complicated, unnecessarily wordy, um, and really just cumbersome. I think that, you know, companies would do themselves a, a service if they were able to just write something clearly and concisely. And look, you know, clear, concise writing can be challenging. I mean, I sometimes struggle with it too. Why do I say things in, you know, 15 words when I can say something in four words or whatever, six words? You know, I understand that that's a challenge, but sometimes I feel like companies are going out of their way to make something overly complicated. And again, maybe that's the lawyers who are saying, well, you really need to, you know, explain it this way. Or maybe it's the accountants who are saying you really need to do this. I don't get to see how the sausage is made. I will tell you that, you know, every now and then when I've done presentations to large law firms, because they periodically will do that, you know, they will say that their objective is not to be clear necessarily, that they're not trying to, you know, it's disclosure in name only, I guess. Mm. And so I feel like, you know, if you're really trying to commit to disclosure, make it clear, make it concise, make it so that, you know, my mom, for example, could read it. It doesn't need to be someone who's been reading SEC filings for 30 years, understand what's going on. It should be like the average investor who is, you know, basically who these things are, you know, presumably uh, designed for.
1: All right, so I have to say, as someone who's been in-house for many years now at many different companies, it's not as easy as it sounds to try and do plain English uh, Mm. between, you know, working with the internal and external accountants, with outside counsel, with, you know, your industry peers and the disclosures they're doing. You know, I mean, we've I've tried over the years to try and simplify, and I've gotten – good to a certain point, but after that, it's not, it's not as easy.
2: Yeah. And and again, I don't know, I haven't sat in your chair, so I don't know. Maybe, you know, I'm, maybe this is wishful thinking. I want world peace and maybe I'm just not going to get world peace.
0: Yeah. It is kind of like negotiating world peace yeah. <laughs> amongst, <laughs> amongst the internal people at the company because everybody in different departments, external reporting and litigation and the legal department, they all have their different perspectives on whatever is happening, and you kind of have to synthesize those and work them uh, into the filing in a way that appeases everybody and still explains the situation to the outside world.
2: Yeah. I think that if people are working in that direction, that's obviously, you know, a good thing. I would love to see, you know, maybe under Gary Gensler, they'll take up the plain English thing again. Who knows? I don't know why it disappeared in the first place. It seems to me like a common... A common sense goal. We want these filings to be, I mean, you know, if you guys are writing the filings and very few people read them, what's the point of that? You're going through all of this effort and all of this expense and all of this just for the sake of disclosing something that very few people are going to read.
0: Yeah. But what about, I mean, you mentioned the word subpoena getting pulled out of filings. And so if that's being done, and I think we all know that it is, at least for some keywords, how can companies make sure that the full story is getting out there and not just like oh this keyword got pulled out of their filing and now they're under the spotlight but it but the story is being sort of misinterpreted is there anything that they can do to help themselves with that just provide clear disclosure you know
2: i'm not a lawyer and so i don't want to pretend to be one Um, I think, you know, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, if I was sitting within a company, I think it would certainly be very challenging because, you know, you're required to disclose something. And then I can put on when I put on my journalist hat, you know, or my footnoted hat, and I'll sometimes call a company and I'll say, I saw that you disclosed X, Y, and Z. I saw that you disclosed whatever this particular negative thing is. And let's, let's face it, for the most part, you know, when you're mining filings, you're looking for the stuff that isn't being touted in a press release or, you know, an investor day roadshow or what have you. It's, it's more of a negative information, right? But when I've called the company, you know, I would say 99 point, maybe let's say 5% of the time, 99.5% of the time, they'll say, we can't comment beyond the filings. And, you know, I'm assuming that's a legal requirement because then, you know, maybe it bounces into, um, you know, uh disclosure issues where they're disclosing something to me that they're not disclosing to somebody else. I don't know. Um, again, I'm not an attorney, so I can't really, you know, I, I can only sort of posit a thought on that as opposed to, you know, saying this is exactly why it happens. You know, I think that if we all kind of come to it, you know, as we're trying to be open and honest, we're trying to disclose what we need to disclose then we're in a better position, right? But I think, like, some companies come to it, like, we've got to get this thing. We've got to, like, bury it in, like, footnote 14, uh, you know, subsection 3 uh, mm-hmm. letter, you know, Q, you know, and hope that nobody finds it, and then we're disclosing it. Um So, you know, I mean, I think, you know, there are companies, I can tell you that there are companies that seem to come at it with their best intentions. They're really trying to disclose, and there are companies that don't. Often, you know, and, and, and often the red flags that I would find at a particular company, it was often like something, you know, they, I would call them my frequent flyers because, like, you know, usually when you find one cockroach, it's not the only cockroach. I mean, having lived in New York, you know, for, for quite a long time, it's like there's never just one cockroach. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a good analogy. Yeah. So with your use of search algorithms, what are your thoughts on companies who might try to file reports in a way that requires people to manually parse through their filings? You mentioned Tesla yeah. earlier, and you had reported yeah. on Tesla filing its earnings release as a scan of a PDF.
2: Yeah. You know, companies, I've, I've noticed definitely an increase in that, and, you know, I think it's it's a problem. I know that, you know, it sort of seems like a cat and mouse race. I've talked to some of the technology companies, like, Companies like Centio, companies like Kaleidoscope, companies, you know, that are, you know, basically parsing SEC filings. You know, they're working on technology to get around that. But I think that, you know, it's it's again, you know, and, and again, I don't know the intention. Maybe it was just easier to file it that way. I like to, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, you know, this can't be an accident. Um, what happened with Tesla, just to recount that, is they put in a PDF and they had multiple it was a scan of a PDF, and um, on their forward-looking statements for their earnings, I believe it was for the uh, for the third quarter of 2020. And so it was a scan of the PDF, and then they use different fonts within the PDF. And I'm like, huh, you know, here's a t- here's a company that focuses on its technology. And, like, you know, the thing was basically it was I literally had to manually and you couldn't even manually cut and paste. You couldn't even, like, get a piece of it and manually do that because sometimes I will do that where, like, you know, there's obviously, like, you know, a lot of the search um, tools that I've mentioned, like Centio, like Kaleidoscope, they allow you to directly compare filings side by side. Sometimes you have to do it manually because of, you know, other reasons. But with this particular thing, I couldn't even grab the sentences, so what I had to do is I had to sit there and manually type the forward-looking statements. And if you look at forward-looking statements, they're usually in, like, six-point type. Um, and manually type the forward-looking statements from one quarter and compare them to the, ma- you know, manually re-enter the forward-looking statements. That's a lot of work for someone wow. to do.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: forward-looking statements are not, you know, they're usually giant run-on sentences. And, uh, you know, they can be, you know, 300 words or more. And so I think that, you know, and I don't know. I don't know, you know, um, what's in Tesla's heart there and whether they did that, whether it was just like an accident or whether that was intentional. I hope it was just an accident. <laughs> um, and I hope that other companies don't decide to do this as well because I think, you know, again, that's what I would call non-disclosure disclosure, right? Like, you know, I mean, don't play games with the disclosure. Just disclose it and let the chips, fall, you know, fall where they are. Right. Um, but you know, if, if, you know, you're going through, you're making someone jump through hoops just to compare one quarter to the next, that seems like, you know, you're kind of like bending the rules.
0: Yeah. And the information's going to get out there one way or the other. So it seems like yeah. it, it's better to be forthright about it. Who knows? Yeah. Well, that brings us to our final question, which we ask all of our guests and I'm excited to hear your take on it. And that's, what do you think women in the corporate governance field can add to the current conversation on the societal role of companies? I mean, I think women
2: in general tend to be, you know, better multitaskers. And so I think we can kind of keep an eye on a lot of these different issues. You know, I feel really passionate about, you know, disclosure and getting companies better disclosure. You know, I'd love to... You know, in all the years I've been doing this, I've never had a company ask me like, hey, how do we make this clearer? Maybe that would be like asking, you know, going, going to, uh, you know, a robber and saying to someone like, hey, how do we make our house, you know, better protected? <laughs> um, you know, um, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, women bring, uh, you know, a certain, you know, uh, uh, ability to this to look at things in, you know, sort of a unique um, perspective to, you know, multitask what's going on. Um, and that's what I like to think that I bring, you know, I kind of bring like a common sense sensibility to the filings. I mean, here's these things that are, you know, purposely, you know, complicated and what I'm trying to do is really simplify it and help people understand
1: what's going on.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. That's super helpful to the average investor. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for joining us, Michelle. Thanks Thanks for inviting me. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for this episode of Women Governance Gurus. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use for podcasts and we would love if you would rate us while you're there.